Shalom, my friends, and welcome to the Roots of Flourishing podcast. I am Dr. Chris Lasante, and this is the podcast where we explore the roots of human flourishing through medical knowledge, philosophical reasoning, and theological insights. Episode 22, The Spiritual Dimension, Part 2. I am a huge fan of the Lord of the Rings books and movie series and have read the books a couple of times and watched the movies multiple times. It's truly an epic story of self-sacrifice, heroism, courage, and friendship all in the storyline of Middle-earth's greatest challenge to finally destroy the evil lord Sauron. Of course, the hero of the story is a little hobbit named Frodo, who came into possession of the Ring of Power and then embraced the daunting task of taking it deep into enemy territory to destroy it by throwing it into Mount Doom. The story has multiple epic battle scenes, both on a small and large scale, in addition to many times where heroes and villains die. However, there is one scene that unfailingly makes my eyes mist up and that is the scene at Ammon Hen when the fellowship is attacked by evil Uruks who want to capture the hobbits to take the ring to Saruman, who is a wizard but has joined the evil Sauron. The fellowship is temporarily split up, and two of the hobbits, Merry and Pippin, draw many of the Uruks away from Frodo, who has the ring. Merry and Pippin are successful, but now hopelessly outnumbered and totally overmatched by the much larger and stronger Uruks. Just as things look hopeless for the two hobbits, Boromir, a man and great warrior, comes charging in, slaying many Uruks. He then suffers arrow shot followed by arrow shot, but each time comes back fighting until he is finally overwhelmed and collapses. The Uruks take Merry and Pippin away, leaving Boromir to die. Now, that's a pretty cool scene, but the touching and I dare say beautiful part is how well Boromir dies with his last conversation with the man Aragorn, who comes too late to help in the combat, but in time to speak one last time with Boromir. With the notion of a beautiful death, we will finish up our initial survey of the spiritual dimension by addressing the third part of the good, the true, and now the beautiful. We will also discuss the additional benefit of defining the spiritual dimension in this fashion, since it will help us to differentiate humanity from the rest of creation. We describe things as transcendently beautiful when people throughout the ages have recognized them as especially beautiful. Examples that might fit this category include the Hagia Sophia, a Byzantine-era church in present-day Istanbul. The story goes that in the early 10th century, the pagan Kievan Rus' leader sent emissaries to his neighbors to learn about Judaism, Islam, and Roman and Orthodox Christianity. After visiting the Hagia Sophia, his emissaries reported back, We were led into a place where they served their God, and we did not know where we were, in heaven or on earth. As a side note, this is the reason why the church in Russia is Eastern Orthodox. Other things that are arguably transcendently beautiful include statues like Michelangelo's David, paintings like Da Vinci's The Last Supper, or other architecture to include many of the Gothic-era cathedrals. Music can also fit in this category, such as Bach, Beethoven, Mozart, 
or even our theme music from Vivaldi's Four Seasons Spring. Flowers or mountain vistas are some things in nature often categorized as transcendently beautiful. The recent photos of the universe from the James Webb Space Telescope are awe-inspiring, if not arguably beautiful. Appreciation of and awe of beautiful things is a particular characteristic of humans, which further testifies to the transcendent and ultimately to God. But what makes these things beautiful? The good, the true, and the beautiful all derive their transcendent nature from him who is transcendent, God himself. As we look at the attributes of God, we see him who is perfectly virtuous, perfect in knowledge, and entirely beautiful. Beauty is when all things are working harmoniously together towards the goods, and most importantly, the good of the glory of God. The greatest things ever made by either God or humans, and the most beautiful stories ever told, hold all these transcendent elements together. All the elements in the spiritual dimension work seamlessly together. Conceptually, we see the good or the virtues empowering people to work guided by the truth that beautifully and harmoniously comes together to achieve the basic goods and ultimately reflect the glory of God. Stories of redemption and love, such as Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities, where Sidney Carton takes the place of Charles Darnay at the guillotine, while at the end of the story he also comforts a seamstress who has been sentenced, are rightly proclaimed as classics. Now, back to the scene with Boromir. Boromir hails from Gondor and is the son of the steward of Gondor. The steward's job is to fill in until the rightful king assumes his position. In an earlier council meeting at the elvish city of Rivendell, Aragorn is recognized as the rightful king, but he has elected to live in exile. Boromir then says, Gondor has no king. Gondor needs no king. This defines the tension between Aragorn and Boromir throughout their journey. Then, prior to the fighting at Ammon Hen, Boromir is tempted to take the ring from Frodo and use its power for Gondor, but Frodo escapes. Then comes the fight scene that certainly speaks of courage and heroism, the virtues, but the beauty of the scene comes in Aragorn's conversation with the dying Boromir. Boromir confesses his sin of trying to take the ring and asks for forgiveness. Aragorn says, you fought bravely. You have kept your honor. Thus, Aragorn acts as a forgiving priest, judge, or king towards Boromir. Then Boromir's last words are a declaration of the right and proper relationship with Aragorn when he says, I would have followed you, my brother, my captain, my king. Aragorn then offers a final blessing to Boromir when he says, Be at peace, son of Gondor. The scene not only has great virtues, but also deep chords of redemption and reconciliation between two men, one a great warrior and one his rightful king. I think that all these harmonious and interconnected themes makes it a truly beautiful scene. Additionally, we honor saints of old and new, such as Mother Teresa, as truly beautiful lives. However, the gospel of Jesus is certainly the paramount example. He was the most beautiful person and the most beautiful story ever told.
Jesus possessed all the virtues perfectly and extended love to everyone he encountered while healing the brokenness of this world through curing the sick or restoring their relationships with each other and with God. His knowledge and use of the truth were evident throughout his sayings and parables, reminding his audience and us of the truth of God's requirements and his nature. Finally, his self-sacrificial act of dying on the cross for the sins of the world completes or perfects his life through eternally restoring and redeeming us in the spiritual dimension with God. Jesus even intercedes on behalf of those that are crucifying him when he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The Apostle John sums it up well when he says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Why do we need a relationship with God? Can't I just pursue the good, the true, and the beautiful without a need for God? Dr. Newberg comments on the essential notion of God when he says, The concept of God as a unifying force is important to the sense of wholeness or oneness. In addition, there is a need to consider the individual characteristics of God as a part of the whole. Dr. Newberg reminds us that we need the whole and not just the parts of the spiritual dimension, and this includes a relationship with God himself. As we have noted, Jesus is the perfect summation of all that is good, true, and beautiful. Without a harmonious relationship with God, any of these areas of the good, the true, or the beautiful can quickly become idols and ultimately destroy the basic goods. For instance, aesthetic experience is a basic good, but like all things can be an idol. We can feverishly run and pursue these transcendently beautiful glimpses of God, but if we do not ground these experiences in a closer walk in gratitude to God, then they are nothing but a vain and endless chasing after experiences, which can actually destroy friendships, marriages, and even our health while harming the virtues through prideful boasting and one-upmanship. Virtues can be promoted in the social dimension through transformational relationships, but we need the close connection with the true, which ultimately comes from God to keep us from being courageous about or loving things in the social dimension that are wrong, false, or harmful. Nobody would praise a Nazi who was courageous while killing innocent Jews. Truth without love leads to the misuse and abuse of truth, resulting in power plays, again, feeding our pride and harming others. However, God grounds us in the truth of our own fallibility and redirects any pride towards loving our neighbor. God will also equip us and fill us with his love so we can fulfill the command to continually love one another. A truthful understanding of God is also critical since a distorted view will lead to problems not only socially, but also harm us psychologically and perhaps even biologically. Dr. Newberg points out this when he says, Sometimes religion can have a negative impact on overall well-being. For example, religion is sometimes viewed negatively. Some people view the God they worship as a punishing God. Thus, the importance of correctly and fully understanding God's nature is critical for both our relationship to transcendent truths, but also to facilitate a harmonious relationship with God that will benefit both ourselves and those around us. Knowing the truth that God is a loving God is a critically important feature of his character 
just like knowing that he is a God of justice. We can rest and receive peace in knowing all the truths about his character. The good, the true, and the beautiful must work together, but need to be anchored in a relationship with God and not just about some truth claims about him. Again, Pastor Tripp cautions us against pursuing just theology or knowledge about God only when he says, finally, we must understand that theology is never an end in itself, but a means to an end, the end that we would progressively become like the one who is the ultimate definition of what love is and what love does. Pastor Tripp reminds us that we need to ultimately pursue Christ's likeness and view everything else, including the other basic goods, as penultimate and not ultimate goods. By integrating all these elements of the spiritual dimension, we can thus fulfill the first of the two greatest commandments by loving God with all our heart, mind, and soul. Then, through the virtues, guided by truth, supernaturally infused by God's grace, we can beautifully love our neighbor as ourselves, thus fulfilling the second of the greatest commandments. Now, another interesting aspect of defining the spiritual dimension in this way is that it also helps us understand how humans are different than the rest of creation. Classically, it was thought that the key distinguishing feature of man is that he is a rational or reasoning animal. However, some animals, such as dogs, elephants, dolphins, and monkeys, can reason using means to achieve their ends, and some can even make rudimentary tools. But, to my knowledge, they do not apprehend the good, the true, or the beautiful. Additionally, no animals have a bi-directional relationship with God himself. None proclaim his goodness or majesty. It is the spiritual dimension comprising things that are transcendently good, true, and beautiful, and most importantly, God himself, that distinguishes humans from the rest of creation. This aspect of our humanity also allows us to become God's sons and daughters through a renewed and restored relationship with him. Nothing else in creation has these capacities. Dr. Miller, commenting on a study comparing spiritual with non-spiritual young adults, noted the spiritual were much less likely to be depressed, much less likely to abuse substances, and more likely to be in healthy relationships and to join organizations of communities with contribution. She then makes this amazing conclusion. A strong spiritual core gave these young people a whole different life. I think this is the goal we should all be striving for, a whole different life, a fuller and much better one that integrates fully all the components of the spiritual dimension. In summary, the transcendently good, true, and beautiful are derived from the character of God himself. Our comprehension of these transcendent areas and our participation in them is what distinguishes us from the rest of creation and truly makes us human. I think Dr. Miller sums it up well in one of her concluding pages when commenting on what happens when our spiritual dimension is awakened when she says, And the world flourishes with us. Our own optimum functioning is good for others in the earth. The very same way of being that creates a healthy, interconnected brain generates the most interconnected state of humanity in all of life. 
Thus, Dr. Miller reminds us of the importance of interconnectivity in all our humanity as we have seen when we pursue transcendent virtues, truth, and aesthetic experiences to bring us closer to God and to equip us to love our neighbor as ourselves while also pursuing the basic goods by being in balance and working in interconnected harmony amongst the dimensions. Next episode, we'll discuss some of the most common errors of the notion of the spiritual dimension. Until then, wishing you increased flourishing as we press towards the goal of completing our humanity. Check out my show notes for references and additional resources. The show is also at rootsofflourishing.buzzsprout.com. Shoot me an email at rootsofflourishing at gmail.com with comments or questions. 